Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and explore what the world might look like on the other side of Web3 adoption. Hello. It has been a couple of months since I have released a new podcast episode. I honestly just took a couple of months to just like pause, reflect, think intentionally about where I want the podcast to go, what I'm feeling curious about. I think a bear market is a really good time to do that. And so I am back. I'm so excited. I'm going to be resuming the release of like a regular cadence of podcast episodes every week. And I'm also super stoked to, over the next couple of months, be trying some new experiments, switching things up a little bit. I think a lot of the Web3 podcasts that are out there, which I absolutely love, um, do tend to bring on a lot of the same guests, doing a lot of the same types of segments. So I'm super excited to do some experimentation and a little bit of switching up. Um, And I'll also be keeping up sort of the traditional type of podcast episodes that I've published on this feed where I bring on builders and thinkers in the space and we take this more human-centric lens. So it'll be a little bit of both, uh, but I'm super excited to share that with you all. I also just want to take a moment in times that feel really crazy to just say that I am so grateful, not just for those of you who listen, though I'm so grateful for that, but also just those of you who are like sticking around Um, continuing to build and think and engage in a lot of these things that to me at least feel incredibly important. And so I feel incredibly grateful um, for you listening to the podcast and also just for you um, continuing to engage. And and I'm so grateful to be able to build and think alongside you all. So thank you. I also just want to quickly acknowledge that this episode was recorded in the middle of a lot of the FTX stuff unfolding this week. We don't explicitly talk about any of the details, so you don't need to be updated on any of that. This episode really just felt like a space to get grounded in the values that matter. And Maxwell has this really phenomenal perspective around really making sure that we're taking care of ourselves and the people around us. And so I hope this episode can feel grounding in a time where everything feels kind of uncertain and like everything is imploding. So I hope you enjoy. And again, thank you so much for listening. It really means so much. And I'm so excited to continue sharing fun and weird and different content with you all and and building alongside you all. So thank you. Before we hop into the show, a quick thank you to the sponsors that make this episode possible. On this show, we talk all about the human side of Web3 and the philosophy around Web3, but when you're ready to get your hands dirty, Rabbit Hole is the place to go. Rabbit Hole curates all of the wildness of Web3 into one simple place where users can go to be directed towards positive sum protocols and build their skill set as they do it. You can check it out at rabbithole.gg. Thank you, Rabbit Hole, for sponsoring On the Other Side. All right, let's hop into the show. Well, I am here with Maxwell from Gitcoin. I cannot wait to chat today in the midst of an absolute shitstorm going on (laughs) in crypto. Um, But I'm super excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Before we dive into our conversation, maybe it would be good to give a little bit of context about you, how you got into crypto, um, all of those things. Yeah, yeah, definitely happy to speak to that. I think the first time I really started paying attention to crypto was in 2020. Previously in like 2015, 2016, I had like bought some Bitcoin and like done stuff online, but purely kind of saw Bitcoin as this utility token, something that you would kind of have to like go out of your way to buy. And then it was just like easier to transact 
online. And I, I thought that was exciting, but I, I never really like thought much of that. It wasn't until Christmas Eve of 2020 when I sat next to my cousin, who's actually a high school hockey coach and like just a longtime Chainlink fan. And he's been like trading cryptocurrency since 2016. And I've kind of known that he's been doing that, but I never really paid much attention to what he was doing. And my mom would be like, um, you know, Charlie told me to buy Chainlink. And I was like, that seems like probably not the best <laughs> idea in like 2019. I was like, you're just gonna like lose all your money. Um, and I was just like pretty dismissive of it, despite like having these values that now it, I see the dots connected of like, if only, you know, I had kind of learned about crypto, not as a financial thing, but as a value-driven alternative to a lot of the coordination problems we have in the world, I think I would have paid more attention. But at that time, it was just like a financial thing. And basically, my cousin was like, okay, this global financial ecosystem that we live in is collapsing. The economy is going down the drain. Cryptos are saving grace. You know, the dollar is going to diminish. And crypto is this alternative we have to basically uh, create a better world. And as he explained his interest in crypto that way, I started to pay more attention and see crypto as this alternative to these institutions that have like continued to fail people. And as someone who's always been, you know, not the biggest fan of authority or the institutions or states of the globe, uh, to me, that's kind of what made crypto hit me to some degree of just like, okay, this is like, not just like some internet money. This is like a really powerful mechanism that we can use to subvert the power of the state. This is a powerful mechanism that we can use to, you know, provide financial rails to people who otherwise are failed by the powers that be. And then it wasn't really, so I kind of started paying attention to crypto. I started to like, you know, pay closer attention to like Ethereum and Bitcoin at that time. But it wasn't until about a year ago, the fall of 2021, when I had some friends that launched an NFT project, it was an exciting project called Kiki Boba. It was like that neurological effect where, you know, if you tell someone, no matter what language they speak, Kiki or Boba, and you ask them to draw kind of what they imagine, you know, if it's Kiki, it's like lines, and if it's Boba, it's like circles. And they basically tried to replicate that with like generative AI and then use that to produce NFTs. And I was just kind of blown away by that. I was like, that's, that's really exciting. And that kind of got me more interested in kind of the social side of crypto. And also a year ago, I was in graduate school studying learning design and, and kind of education technology. I took a course called Emerging Technologies and How They Might Revolutionize Education. And the idea with that course was to choose some technology and, and you know, kind of dive deep into how it might begin to, to impact education and lifelong learning. And given my friends doing the NFT project and what I was hearing with DAOs, I kind of just dove deep into DAOs, these like learning communities. And I think from there, it like just solidified in my mind that, yeah, crypto is not just about financial inclusion. It's not just about providing financial alternatives. It's basically just a whole alternative to coordination, a whole another way to provide a, we call it trustless you know, interactions, but really more trustful interactions, being able to interact online and in safe ways where you can own your data. And I think the value proposition of decentralization in conjunction with like human beings and these like peer-to-peer -peer networks to me was just kind of endlessly exciting. And kind of since then, I've been just thinking a lot about that, doing work in some various styles, now full-time at Gitcoin. But yeah, those are kind of the two, the two threads that I fell, I fell down the rabbit hole with. I absolutely love that. And I love this idea of lifelong learning and where that intersects with crypto. I feel like 
I was just having a conversation with someone about this a couple weeks ago. I feel like the only people in the space who can say with any sense of like dignity that they actually know what's going on are the people who kind of acknowledge that they also have no idea what the <laughs> fuck is going on. Yeah. So I'm curious how you think about like this intersection of lifelong learning and and this philosophy of always being a student in the context of crypto. Yeah, I, I think it's amazing. I, I think it's it's one of the things that gets me just extremely excited when you see people who are just like legitimate experts in the crypto space now who never went to school for anything related to crypto. I think that's really exciting. I, I, I don't think we need like crypto courses. And I think the moment that, you know, there is like the crypto you know, there are like, you know, I know Berkeley, um, you, like UC Berkeley has some like crypto courses. I know Stanford does. I know MIT does. But I think the moment we have like some, you know, crypto bachelor's degree is the moment we've kind of like failed as an industry. Mm -hmm. I think what I'm really excited about with crypto is the fact that we do have legitimate experts who just haven't gone to school for this stuff. And they've learned purely in these like peer to peer networked ways, purely through informal learning, through like blogging reading blogs, creating these like very sustainable and enduring networks that people they can rely on and learn from. I think, you know, you, you look at these group chats that everyone seems to have in crypto, but like with their friends, they just like discuss things or unpack things. To me, those are kind of like the quote unquote classrooms of the future. And I think that's really exciting. I think the fact that we have this like industry where it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done in the past, but if you just put in the effort and you just like are motivated and passionate to learn about crypto, you can succeed. I think that's really, really special. And it's obviously not something that other, you know, legacy institutions or industries have at all. There's so many gates and barriers to entry there. And I think having crypto as this alternative industry that doesn't rely on credentials from these institutions, doesn't rely on like where you were born or kind of who you knew growing up, it just relies on passion and like internal motivation. To me, that's like ridiculously exciting and it makes me very optimistic about what we're all doing here together. Mm. I have a weird angle slash question on this for you, which is, you know, over the last week or whenever people are listening to this, like we have seen FTX absolutely implode. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the like interesting elements around this for me he he just put out a thread that was like, I fucked up, you know, I'm learning from this. Yeah. Is this dynamic and balance between like learning and experimenting and, and sort of acknowledging that part of that probably means failing mm -hmm. and also having this responsibility to build systems where we've actually thought about what the consequences of them are and it's not that, you know, we're creating $8 billion holes <laughs> And being like, oh, ha, but it was a lesson, you know, that <laughs> yeah. we learned. Like, you know, engineers have to have, like, degrees to build incredibly important infrastructure. Like, I, I, it kind of makes me wonder what is our responsibility as people in the space to have some degree of education on how our actions impact people and what the consequences of them are. Yeah, totally. I, I think that's a great – I mean, that's a phenomenal, a phenomenal point. And I, I do think that – yeah, if if everyone has, you know, really strong values that we share across the ecosystem, I think, you know, mistakes are always going to happen, but the severity of those mistakes will hopefully be mitigated. I think when I think about like learning from mistakes and failing, I mean, that's really the best way to learn. The best way to learn hands down is by failing, reflecting on why you failed and then trying again, iterating, and then just having this like reflective process of trying things, seeing if they work out, if they don't, reflecting and then going from there. 
But I think where that obviously doesn't work is in like the SBF case where it's like, okay, you can't just like say, okay, I like laundry all this money. Like I fucked up. I'm sorry. Like I'll be better. I, I think to some degree there is this like positive sense of like human growth and development. But I think, you know, you there's just certain lines that can't really be crossed with those sorts of things, especially when it comes to like, you know, everyday people trusting these uh quote unquote institutions to manage their wealth or to basically safeguard their future. I think when things get really serious like that, it, you know, I think generally as an ecosystem, we should have a little bit less like leniency for some of those mistakes when the stakes are so high. And I, I think I agree with you completely that we do need some sort of maybe not educational program, but we just need to have this like values alignment. And I think really the way that I see that being done effectively is is through organizations like the Ethereum Foundation that are really, you know, forward facing with their values of like long-term thinking and subtraction and stewardship of values. I think like those are really strong. I think one thing I'd love to see just as kind of a participant in the wider ecosystem is more organizations kind of leading with their values and then doing everything from there. I think when we have, you know, centralized exchanges and like other uh, monopoly-esque organizations that are just basically, you know, I would just say kind of profit-driven to some degree. I think that's when we start to fail and we kind of lose sight of the point of crypto, which is not to make money. The point of crypto isn't to make money. It's to have this alternative, you know, countercultural ecosystem that doesn't rely on institutions and doesn't rely on like value extraction that can create value in these like bottoms-up ways and really be able to elevate the voices of people who otherwise like aren't included in these systems at large. Yeah, I really like the idea of values as almost like not only something that we need to have up front guiding us, but also is almost like it seems like this safety net in a weird way to try to mitigate Mm -hmm. people making really dumb decisions. Like to your point, failure happens. That's part of how we learn in this space. But if one of your values is we don't use consumer or we don't use user funds to make money (laughs) or like we're not money driven, then maybe a lot of the stuff could have been mitigated, which I think is a really good point. And to your point about the EF, I think really stresses the importance of not just being values forward, but also kind of like taking a step back when the whole space seems to be in a little bit of a, a vulnerable moment. And looking at what are the institutions that have brought us to this point that have had actually really good influence. And when we were talking before we started recording, um, sort of prepping for this, you brought up the EF. So for anyone who doesn't know, that's the Ethereum Foundation, um, which I do think has done such a phenomenal job stewarding a lot of the really amazing things that have come about in crypto. And so we'd love for you to dive in a little bit to the EF's sort of value prop in the space as a whole. And then I think it would be fun to dive into some of the specific values that they've stewarded. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I'm just like such a fanboy of, of the EF and <laughs> their values. And yeah, at, at least for the past like few months, I just really can't stop thinking about a lot, a lot of the work that they've done, the way that they've gone about doing it. So yeah, for context, EF is the Ethereum Foundation. Um, yeah, there's definitely like a long history with the Ethereum Foundation. Um, lots of leadership churn since kind of the origins of Ethereum. Um, But I think really where I started to really just like admire what EF has been doing is, you know, kind of since 2018 when I stepped in as the executive director and basically kind of stewarded this this new age of the foundation with these three principles of long-term thinking and subtraction and stewardship of values. I think very few 
foundations or organizations or institutions lead with values like that. I think subtraction in particular is kind of the first time I encountered it. It was kind of mind bending to me to like think about this idea that this organization is happy when other people have opportunities. They're happy to kind of give things away. They celebrate the success of others and they kind of exist to do less. I think that, you know, you really have to, at least for me, like kind of think about that for a little bit in terms of what does that really mean to like exist to do less? And what does it mean to try and subtract away these opportunities? I think the EF as an organization has done just a wildly successful job in my eyes of growing an ecosystem. I think a lot of organizations in crypto think about TVL, they think about growing their own contributor base, they think about, you know, growing the impact that they have, how many people use my product, how many people do this. I think what the EF has done, you know, one is like kind of steward Ethereum, but also been like, it's not about what we do, it's about what the community does. And the more that we can do less, the more opportunities there are for other people to do more. And I think that's a really powerful way to think about what it means to grow an ecosystem in a purely bottoms up way. And it's just something I've been, I've been continually impressed by. Yeah, it's a really interesting idea of like subtraction and really optimizing for bringing other players into the ecosystem to take on responsibility. And I think part of what is like really intriguing about that dynamic and also feels in some ways sort of counter to what we've seen over the last, I would say, year and a half, maybe two years in the ecosystem is like the way that a lot of, you know, DeFi summer played out Mm -hmm. and even like some NFT projects it's this like rush towards huge TVL and like these, you know, industry leaders and making sure that your protocol wins and blah, blah, blah. And what you kind of miss along the way is this idea that you do want to create this like flourishing ecosystem. And it's kind of funny to think about the EF as stewarding this idea of doing less because, of course, in the process, regardless of, you know, what you think about other L1s and L2s, like Ethereum has sort of won in some ways as being the blockchain that is like highly used. And and that's a really interesting dynamic when we're thinking about what it means for a lot of these players, I think, at a protocol level to like win when I would argue that a lot of them probably don't think about subtraction (laughs) as something that that is important. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we really need more more subtraction. And I, I think Ethereum is like the best for a number of reasons. Um, well, yeah, one of them happens to be kind of the EF and the work that they've done. But I think Ethereum as a whole has these values and kind of as Vitalik said, like Ethereum kind of has a soul. And I think to me, that's something that's very unique to Ethereum and the Ethereum ecosystem, having these kind of principles of decentralization, censorship resistance, permissionlessness being able to access these centralized networks without intermediaries or third-party institutions like vetting you and censoring you, I think is a really, really powerful primitive that I think, you know, these other crypto projects, many of them kind of built around Ethereum have tried to emulate, but in reality, it's, there's something very unique about having a soul and having these kind of principles really deep down and, and ones, you know, quote unquote, like technical bones. I think it's something that I'm just continuously very excited by with Ethereum. And I think with the EF, especially having these values and being able to steward them, I think one kind of misconception as well is that subtraction is just like doing less. And even though I said the goal was less, really like subtraction is about providing opportunities for other people. And sometimes it actually requires you to do more. I think one example I think about um, 
with the EF is like the Ethereum support program and Ethereum.org with the Ethereum support program. Basically, you know, you have to do more work to set up this kind of grants program so that the ecosystem and the communities at large can be empowered to do work on their own, you know, to subtract and just to do less and like basically fire people is not really, that's not really the solution to anything. The solution is like thinking about the better work that can be done to enable more opportunities for other people. And same thing with like Ethereum.org. It's like that's, you know, if you go to Ethereum.org, it's one of, in my eyes, one of the best educational resources out there about Ethereum and about the ecosystem. You know, the EF, you know, kind of pre-2018 was kind of doing it all on their own in-house, had a team for it. And now they have a really wonderful translation program. They kind of have the, you know, you can do a PR, you can add anything, you can do a repo, you can kind of add to the website and suggest edits. And they basically decentralize it out to the community. And at the face level, that might seem like less work is going on, but in reality, it's more work because it requires to kind of like, you know, vet things and to be able to kind of accept these suggested edits. And I think really that the lesson, at least from the Ethereum.org, in addition to the Ethereum support program, is that subtraction is like you're doing more to enable other people to do more. And it's really not mm-hmm. about, you know, kind of internally having this prestige or internally being like, we're doing this thing, we're succeeding. It's to create essentially these opportunities for success for other members of the ecosystem and then to celebrate that. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It reminds me of in some ways some of the community efforts that we've seen pop up over the last, I would say like six months to a year around a lot of Web3 projects where you have maybe even like venture-backed companies who actually have, you know, a community or a DAO where they have things like bounties, which I think is kind of similar Mm -hmm. in some ways. And it does bring my mind to this question that I've been mulling over for a while now, which is like, how much do you run an organization sort of like autocratically, get shit done, do it all (laughs) under your wing, you know, versus – making these things more open. And I feel like especially as we're moving into this bear market, you know, capital is being held on to a little bit tighter. You don't necessarily always want to just distribute that to a community Mm. or even have someone who's full-time maybe on your team whose job is to sort of guard in a community. And so I'm curious how you think about some of that balance between encouraging and nurturing a community and having this more like autocratic get shit done top-down type of of ruling yeah totally and i i think the the thing that comes to mind for me right now is it's it's a lot like relationships you know it's like you can't really love someone else unless you love yourself and i think an issue at least that i i see is is very possible and something i've seen happen is like you know if you basically decentralized too quickly, I think you run the risk of basically, quote unquote, loving, you know, your partner, your community kind of before you love yourself. And I think really what needs to be done in most cases is like, you need to set a strong foundation because you can't really have the infrastructure to support other people until you're one, able to support yourself and like two, kind of just like know what you're doing and know what's going on. I think that's just like a, a balance piece that I think is still kind of being worked out. And I think <laughs> thinking about like building a product as like being in a relationship or like being in a marriage or something, I think is like maybe, you know, some design space that could be explored a little bit. 
But generally, I, I think the takeaway that at least I'm having from just thinking about my own life, my own relationships, and, and this, this kind of events I'm seeing in the ecosystem at large is like, if you're not really taking care of yourself, if you're not, you know, making sure that you understand yourself and like what you need as an individual, what you need as an organization, it gets really, really tricky and hard to be able to support others, to be able to support the community at large. I think we just need to have a better culture, maybe within kind of the Web3 space of like self-reflection and kind of knowing ourselves and our, and our own needs. And then from there, we can like build it out and begin to care for, for other people. But I'm curious, Chase, on your perspective on this from Metropolis and the way that you're kind of seeing this play out live as you're, as you're doing your work over there. Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy and way to think about it. Like even when you think about what it means to seek, you know, oftentimes when we think about like you can't love someone else fully until you love yourself, mm -hmm. often what that manifests as is like the desire for validation from someone else and, and all of these things that actually ends up being kind of unfair to the person who you're partnered yeah. with. And I think it's actually very similar with a lot of these organizations that are trying to build community really early without necessarily knowing what's going on, yeah. where you're kind of like bringing in all of these people into the fold and into this this little early garden that you have. But like, it's actually pretty unfair to them when you don't have your mm -hmm. shit figured out. And so I really like that way of thinking about it. And I think more broadly, there's a an interesting thread to pull on here, which is that I think in Web3, whether it be an example like that, where you have community members who maybe are getting caught up in something that really isn't ready for them to be brought into and, and mm -hmm. is kind of some projection of, you know, a founder or a team thinking that they should be more decentralized when really that doesn't make sense. Or mm -hmm. when you have things like, you know, I hate to keep bringing this up, but an exchange <laughs> that that is that is not actually, you know, treating funds and and users with respect. Like there's this weird and and I think this exists in web two as well. And I think that that's a lot of why you've ended up getting some like really fucked up incentive structures yeah. and decisions that have been made on Web2 platforms. But there is this like lack of ability to empathize with and make decisions that optimize for the well-being of users, community members, and all that shit. And I don't – I mean, I'm sure that's always existed. You know, capitalism is a force mm -hmm. for – you know, shitty decisions sometimes. <laughs> Hatred. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and not optimizing for human beings. But like, it does make me wonder how we can do a better job um, empathizing with and making decisions that maybe short term don't give us the validation or access to capital that we might want in the moment, but that longer term actually is like better for humans. And And I don't know what that dynamic or balance looks like, but I feel like that's always, even for the podcast, like what I've wanted it to be is a space where we talk critically about like, how are the decisions that we're making actually impacting real people? And I just feel like we lack that in the space. And, yeah. and I don't know how to quantify that harm that we're doing, but I do think it's really important. And even in the community context definitely exists. Oh, completely. And I, I do think there, you know, I think you, you spoke about this before as well, kind of like this honeymoon phase of like contributing to DAOs. And I think, you know, the challenges that a lot of people encounter a few months back, kind of after, you know, the bull run that kind of peered out a little bit and we kind of started to enter the bear, I think, you know, six, you know, five, six months back, you know, a lot of people encounter challenges in, in the DAOs they're contributing to. They're like, oh, there's not actually like anything for me to do here. Like there's mm -hmm. not this infrastructure for like me to be taken care of. Like no one actually really cares about me that much in this like 
organization. Like it's, there are all these kind of challenges I think that people encounter. And I think we kind of didn't really fully reckon with that as a whole, like it's kind of the Ethereum space or the crypto ecosystem. I think, yeah, we just need to do a better job of taking care of each other. I think, you know, bear markets are for building, some might say, but also bear markets might be for taking care of each other and making sure that we have these really strong relationships that will endure the test of time, making sure that we have these like strong networks of care. Because really, like, ultimately, I've, I've you know, kind of told, you know, when I kind of go to different conferences and whatnot, like I tell my, you know, my parents or, you know, my friends that aren't in the space, like, you know, for how technical... Ethereum and crypto is, it's like such a social industry. It is such mm. a social industry. It's really just about kind of like who you know, who you saw where, and like a lot of that stuff really ends up mattering a lot. And I think, you know, whenever there is like a very, very social space, you know, care and love is kind of like the foundational unit of that. Like you really have to care about people. And it's like things like capitalism, things like profit motives are really what like erode any sort of like social setting because then it just becomes about ulterior motives. I think the more that we can like remind ourselves that like this one is kind of like a social space, you know, there's other people in this space that we care about. And the more that we can like think about the ways that we treat each other and the ways we can kind of center that, I, I think can only really be a net positive in my eyes. Totally agree, which is really funny for a space that has so many people who are anon or, you right. know, like <laughs> have NFT profile pictures, like the fact that at the end of the day, a lot of this stuff still ultimately comes down to taking care of each other, I think is mind blowing. And the other weird thing to me, and, and you pointed this out and I think it's totally true, is like bear markets are very much about taking care of each other. I think there's an interesting dynamic where, you know, people will say like, I made it through this many bear markets. And they're saying that to say, I've weathered this before, but they're also mm -hmm. saying it because there's a bond that I do think comes from just getting absolutely fucked financially and like yeah. making it out and everybody making it out alive together. It makes me like wish, and I don't think that this is going to be feasible, but I wish this was the case that in, in, bear markets, people take care of each other and we're able to carry that over into bull markets in yeah. a way that's much more like sort of at the forefront. Because I feel like a lot of people sort of lost that during the bull market um, and just kind of focused on themselves. And, and I guess there's space for that. But really, we should always be rooted in this idea that like we're a very interdependent ecosystem and humans in general are interdependent. Like ideally we are always taking care of one another. Yeah, totally. You know, you, you got to love your local Anon as they say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it's a really great, I think it's just a good point to always remind people of that, you know, we're in this together and yeah, I think this is something that, you know, meta label has done really effectively talk about kind of creating a multiplayer mode. I, I think crypto as a whole and like Ethereum is it's like a multiplayer mode game. And I think it's a game that we're all mm -hmm. playing together. And, you know, some might say it's the infinite game, which I would agree with. <laughs> and I think let's all just like keep playing for the sake of playing. And I think in order to do that effectively, you just have to care about each other. So, yeah, I'm excited to see us all love each other a little bit more in this in this bear market. <laughs> Well, I feel like that is a beautiful place to wrap things up. Maxwell, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Yeah, totally. This has been fantastic. And I'm glad we were able to have a little bit of, of 
positive discussion during these <laughs> fucked up <laughs> and like insane times. Um, but yeah, at public Maxwell uh, on Twitter and then uh, Maxwell at gitcoin.co. Um, feel free to reach out to me about any of this. Always happy to jam. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming yeah, on the show. Thanks for having me, Chase. Really appreciate it. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcast day like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.